Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Ben Stokes proves why he's one of the best in the world with the century, wickets, and brilliant captaincy, leading England to an emphatic innings victory over South Africa at Old Trafford in the second test match. We'll hear from the England captain shortly. Keeper Ben Folks talks about his first test century in England after his uh, 100 on debut in Sri Lanka. And we look back at Ollie Robinson's first game for England since the Ashes. We'll also address what South Africa need to do ahead of the third test. Uh, the ECB Managing Director of Men's Cricket, Rob Key, discusses rescheduling of the domestic game. And we hear exclusively from England women's captain, Heather Knight. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. So 1-1. Innings victories in the first two test matches. Uh, that was a heck of a bounce back from England, Harmy. Your, your overall thoughts, first of all? Yeah, it was a good performance. <clears throat> I don't want to take anything away from England. I think South Africa helped them. I think they helped them in team selection, in toss. <clears throat> I don't think um, South Africa won the test match at Lords on the toss alone. I just think they played better than England. And then similar, I, I as much as I think South Africa helped England by picking the team they picked, as well as winning the toss and, and batting first on you know favourable conditions. Remember when they started a test match, the lights were on. And you give the lights on to a bloke who's got an end named after him, bowling from that end, that's telling you he's going to be a challenge. And that, and that obviously with Jimmy and Brody and Roddy Robinson, that's what happened. So I think, I think South Africa helped England, but I think England were the better team over the course of the, the, the two and a half, nearly three days that, with that contest, I thought it was good performance by Ollie Robinson, Ben Folks, fantastic. And I think we're going to say lots of nice things about Ben Stokes over the course of the next hour. Um, he was magnificent with the bat. He's Herculean effort, even though I still question right knee of his or that left knee of his, whichever one is looked at this minute in time, that 
to prolong his career, but I think he is so important. His mindset, his leadership qualities, and the way he, he looks at the game. And I think that came and shone through. Um, he backed two people this year, right at the very start. He said, Jack, Jack Leach was my spinner. You know, over the course of the five test matches I've played so far, Jack's bowled a lot better than he ever has done playing for England, I think. He got five five foot earlier in the summer. And he, he backed a lot of us questioning whether England had enough in the tank at the top of the order to have Ben Folks and not Johnny Bairstow keeping wicket at number seven. And Ben Folks has, has, has backed him up by being at the, in, the, in the middle a couple of times when England have getting over the line and he got a fantastic 100 this week. So, you know, fair play to, to Ben Stokes for his leadership qualities and the people that he's backed have, have backed him up with, with performances. OK, as promised, let's hear from Ben Stokes. Yeah, amazing uh, team performance all round. You know, the way in which we obviously bounced back from, you know, the disappointment from, from Laws last week to, to put in that performance was was obviously very pleasing. But, you know, cricket's about how you bat, bowl and field. And I think the way that we batted, bowl and field this whole game was, you know, almost like the benchmark of the standards and everything that we set. You know, just the energy throughout the whole week, you know, when we're out the field and stuff like that. Even, you know, when Rassi um, and Keegan were in that partnership where it looked like sort of they were... I don't know, able to, to counteract anything that we threw at them, but the energies and everything that the bowlers were running in with and the energies in the field and everything like that was top draw. It was indeed top draw. Just before we hear from Dean Elgar, the South African captain, just a couple of things to say. I did mention last week that uh, the more he spoke about how his team could be flexible, the more you kind of realised that they are actually it, being flexible and spontaneous isn't something that comes naturally to Dean Elgar. And, you know, um, being flexible by picking the second spinner, that was that was planned three weeks before. <laughs> it's all right. We can be spontaneous. And in fact, we've made an appointment for when we're going to be spontaneous. Um, and the other thing, Harmi, is that having picked two spinners, um, they he felt and he said that they had to bat first. They had no choice. Um, they were aware of the history of Old Trafford. Nobody's ever won the toss, chosen to bowl first at Old Trafford and won the test match. But then if you're going to be guided by history, then you're never going to change it. So, you know, history is there to be changed. And when he decided to bat first, you could tell at the toss that, you know, he was forcing a grin and holding it, but you could see how tight the corners of his mouth were. So he knew, he knew it was fraught with danger. But you know what? In the traditional South African way, the plans were set in stone and um, they, they weren't going to change on the morning of the test match. It did. It seemed that he, he was in one almighty hole that he just didn't know how to dig himself out of. And the match didn't even started before that got going. And like you said, you know, history, history's there. And you know, if you keep going like that, then yeah, you you won't break any, you know, you won't sort of challenge any any anything that's happened in history. I I don't have a re I don't, there's no reason why he couldn't have he couldn't have bowled first. He could have said, right, I think this is the team that I think going to win the test match the conditions at this minute in time favor there's no reason why three seamers can't get you through till about three o'clock in the afternoon in in the first day of the first test match then your spinner comes into the game if you're a good captain you can you can manufacture the way of having three seamers rotate to get you to i would say halfway through the day we are not a problem a couple overs of spin before lunch and then they have another another burst after lunch. You could comfortably get 12, 13 overs each out and Giri Rabada and Nokia. 
in that first morning and then still have enough in the tank in the bank to say, right, we still think this is going to spin and we think it's going to spin big. Here's two, three and more. Then we go and get a big score and bowl you out. And there's no reason why you can't, you, you couldn't do that. There's nothing says that, oh, because I pick, I picked two spinners, I've got a bat first. You haven't got a bat first. You've got to pick 11 players and play a good cricket to win a game, no matter what the conditions are. And, you know, on that first morning, condition was to bowl first. I know one thing, the mindset of the England captain, if he thought I need to pick two spinners because I need a second spinner further down the line, but I need to bowl first, the way Ben thinks about the game, I don't think Ben would have had any hesitation in going, I'm going to bowl first. Broad, Anderson and Robinson are going to bowl. They're going to bowl all their overs in the first day and a half of this test test match. And then they ain't going to bowl for two and a half days because the two spinners are going to win me the game. Is there anything wrong in thinking that way? No. No, because <laughs> it's not the norm. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, talking about Ben Stokes, you said that we would say nice things about him um, throughout the course of the hour, and we will. Um, it was particularly extraordinary timing that he scored his 100 on the day that is autobiographical film was uh, was released um quite just amazing he's in the business of of promotion isn't he so i just wanted to ask you again something you referred to last week um a, a few times um you were concerned about his workload and how hard he pushes himself but is it not counterintuitive for him to to give 70 percent of himself in order to preserve himself for more test matches I mean, when he when he burns out, he burns out, and he'll be content in the knowledge that he's given a hundred percent. That fourteen over spell with the old ball, it was was match changing, um, and you could say match match winning along with his hundred and his partnership of one hundred and seventy with with Ben Folks. But I, I just wonder whether Ben Stokes is capable of not giving a hundred percent. I mean, is that not the reason that he retired from ODI cricket because he? I think he may even have used the word himself, the phrase himself, I'm a 100% cricketer and I want to be able to give 100% in every test match. He is, and that's the beauty about him. And that's my concern. That has always been my concern, that I'd, I'd rather use him in, in games where, like in this test match, this test match, he wasn't bowling bounces. He wasn't bowling bounces. He was bowling to win a game. In the, the Lord's Test match, he was bowling bouncers to, to talk, sort of try and change the course of the game. He, and that might sound the same thing, but it's not. You know, he, he was trying to break a partnership in this game, which was going to get him get his team in a position to win the game and get get a team over the line. And at Lords, they were so far behind the game, and there was many times, even in Australia, you're going, "Why are you bowling? Why are you bowling?" Because he's a hundred percenter. Because he throws everything at it. He is too important. I wasn't really having a go last week about Ben Stokes as what he was trying to do. It was more of who was trying to do it. And that for me is if you've got a, a game plan against a team, eight, nine, 10, and 11, which you're going to bowl bouncers at, then pick a bouncer bowler. Pick somebody that bowls bouncers rather than one of your premier all-rounders who is a, your England captain who shouldn't be doing that job. That's not, that's not his job. His job's there to score runs and do what he did in the in the second test match, which was grab the game by the scruff of the neck and you know, charge England forward. If he bowls bounces at 8, 9, 10, 11, and he, he, he has a little bit of success, he gets them out. England was so far behind the game. It, it's just frustrating when I see what he did in the in the second test match that we don't need to get him to do that in the what he did in the first test match because I think you are you are running the risk of 
putting his body in danger. And there's a fine balance for me between running the risk of putting one of your premier players' body on the line in a game, in a situation which he shouldn't be doing, is pick a bowler who you would, if you've got, this is the plan you've got, pick somebody to do that, to execute that plan, or somebody in the middle of the game where you're thinking, right, the game, not the game wasn't in the balance, but he's going to go through 14 over spells, that's a lot. But an eight, nine over spell in the middle of a game when you're going well and everything's going and you're looking dangerous, you're beating the bat, you are being aggressive into length rather than just run up and bowl five bounces, six bounces and over. There's two different things. And I think ultimately it puts pressure on the body both ways, but it's in a different way. It's a different cause on how you're trying to do it. For me, just needlessly bowling bounces is not something Ben Stokes should be doing. Okay, we still need to hear from Ben Folks um, on his second hundred. And also I want to ask you about Zach Crawley, but I did say a couple of minutes ago that we'd hear from Dean Elgar, the South African captain. So this is what he had, had to say after defeat. Sometimes you can go into panic mode when things like this happen. Myself and the coach are definitely not those kind of guys to panic. Um, we know we're still a good side. Uh, sometimes time away from the game is not a bad thing. So yeah, we but we'll definitely use that period for better connection again within the group. Not like it's disconnected, but just let's touch base again. Let's pull ourselves towards ourselves and don't forget why we're here. We're here to win a test series and we're in a great position to still win a test series. So yeah, just maybe clear your minds and just let the dust settle after this and focus on the third test, which is, um, yeah, it's set up to be a serious uh, series and yeah, can't, can't wait for the, the third test to start that, sorry. Uh, well, uh, he can wait, um, and he's going to have to wait 11 days, and he hasn't got much choice about that. Uh, I have to say that um, there was just an element of um, the wagons being circled in the South African camp. They refused to say where they were going. Uh, they did say initially that they were going to disperse and have time by themselves, go uh, do whatever you want, just have three or four days um i mean it's unprecedented nine days scheduled mm. without a fixture on a modern tour they didn't even do that in the 1920s when they no. took six months to go on an ashes tour they didn't have nine days without a game so in the modern world um i think they should have said right you go and play golf uh, you go fishing you do whatever you like go and catch up with some old mates uh, maybe play a game of, of, of club cricket. I suggested that and got um, got snorted at by uh, by he, Dean Elgar. Did he? He didn't take that question as though it was a compliment towards trying. Not a compliment. A, a, a challenge towards. Well, why? Some of you could do with a, a bit of time in the middle. He he took that as. Did he take that as an insult? Yeah, yeah, he did. He, he seems to be offended. I said, "What are you going to do for for you know ten days? What are you going to maybe?" Some of you catch a club game, um, and uh, he said, "Oh, very funny." <laughs> but this I, is this. Sorry, man. This is where my this is where my thing last week where, where Ireland comes into it. England, England. Obviously, they've got a window here where the, the hundred finals on, and there's there's more things to worry about from the ECB's point of view than a test match against South Africa. I know it's the, the game finished early, but would there be an, an argument for? Just jumping on the boat, going over to Dublin and playing a four-day game against Ireland. Yeah, It'll be yeah, great for yeah. international cricket, great for Irish cricket. Dean Algar gets a game, Avia gets a game, one or two others might get some time in the middle to go. 
this is where I don't, this is where I think the ICC, and I said that last week, I think somebody shot me down and said, oh, it's got nothing to do with the ICC, it's about the boards. But surely this is, yeah, growing the game of cricket, you got a long period, like nine days, which is like we've said, is a long period. Why can't they go and play a four-day game, first-class match against Ireland and promote in in Ireland, especially with the world, especially for South Africa with a, a T20 competition coming up soon, which is going to be all over TV. And you know, you're, you're taking to the you're taking your players to a different country. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as we continue to look back at England's emphatic win in that uh, second test match. When I bat five, like hundreds are definitely something I think about, but I think at seven, it's like, I think I think more about just trying to contribute. Um, Because obviously you're not going to get as many opportunities to get hundred. So I think if I can contribute in some way, um, whether it be the game situation, if I'm batting with the tail, if I can get a 40 there and kind of dominate that partnership, then that's my job. But I I think getting a big partnership here um, and getting the opportunity to get 100 um, definitely gives me confidence going forward. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. As we look back at England's victory over South Africa in the second test at Old Trafford, the hosts winning by an innings and 85 runs. Brilliant interview with Ollie Robinson uh, with the written media um, at the end of the test match in which uh, he was really delightfully honest about his new approach to fitness he described himself as a as a gym bunny now Um, and he said that uh, he now sees he looks forward to fitness whereas he'd always you know he's 28 he'd always all that time seen fitness as a chore which is something you might be able to relate to Harmi. To, to be honest, when I looked at the, you know, when people said to me about the gym, I thought they were talking about my dad. There was like <laughs> no interest in things like that. But look, I'm pleased for it, Robinson. Some will say their words, and you will, um, you'll, you'll see how that plays out over the course of a six, nine, twelve month period. I know from experience. I can, I know exactly where Ollie Robinson was. I was there. My career was going down a pan. Derek Pringle wrote an article about me, which I didn't particularly like, but it probably probably kicked me into gear a little bit. I got man of the match in Bangladesh, didn't play in Sri didn't go to Sri Lanka, and I was questioned about my place. And I got the fitness bug, having spent time uh, with a, a football club that I love and now sort of work with, and that's United. And people were still questioning me for six, well, six months, I would say. West Indies tour came and went, then the summer, and then all of a sudden a lot of people got off my back from a fitness point of view because of seeing that I was physically fit now. I had changed my attitude and I did look a different way. So I'm not going to be the ones that say, let's see what happens in six months' time. I'm going to be the ones that say, this could be the best thing that's ever happened to Ollie Robinson. 28, don't matter. He's, you look at Jimmy, he's 40. If you do the right thing, you can do this for a long period of time if you look after your body. One thing I will say is that we've never, ever questioned Ollie Robinson's ability to bowl the cricket ball. We've question marked his professionalism and he question marked his in that, in his fitness. The biggest thing I would say is that he was bowling 84, 83, 84, 85 mile an hour. Now, if you bowl like that, you can have a drop off. You know, people describe me as a 90 mile an hour bowler. I was a 90 mile an hour bowler for 25%, 30% 
30% of a test match when it needed to be. You know, once I got into my 40th over of the test match, I ain't, well, no matter how fit I was, I was never bowling 90 mile an hour because that's just natural wear and tear of the week that you have. But you can't be a 70, 78 mile an hour bowler and drop off to 75 in test match cricket. You just get panned, you get smashed. So if he is at a level, his fitness levels are good, he's bowling 83, 84 mile an hour, natural drop off to sort of 78, 80 mile an hour, that's enough for me because of his skill level. He bowls from a tall height, gets the ball full, drives back to forward, he challenges outside and inside edge of the bat. Never any question on his ability of performance of ball when he's in his first couple of spells. If his endurance is good, I think Ollie Robinson can have a future for England for four or five years, not a problem whatsoever. In the, probably the heir apparent to Stuart Broad because he probably would take that Stuart Broad role once Stuart Broad decides that he's had enough and he walks away from the game. So great signs for England, but pleasing signs for Ollie Robinson because he's been kicked so much since the Ashes. He's been probably the fall guy, which I didn't really like because there was other people who had had issues in that series, but it was easy to blame the bowler who wasn't fit, who looked a bit fat and who was bowling slow. He's now got himself in a position to play and, and play at a good level and at a, at hopefully at a high level for a long period of time. So, you know, not only well done for what he did this week, but well done for looking in the mirror, seeing what issue it was and trying to fix it and good for him. And this is what the England captain had to say about Ollie Robinson. Robbo's came in, into this game, showed his class, but he's also taken the the criticism that he received and almost flipped that around because obviously we know how good of a bowler he is, but the question marks around his his fitness and being able to maintain um, you know, his energies and pace and everything, he's completely sort of thrown that away now. Because in, in private we obviously have some conversations and he's gone away, worked incredibly hard to get himself back here. And I almost see this as a new start for Ollie Robinson because he's a phenomenally skillful bowler, but this game, he showed that he can back things up and, you know, we can throw the ball to him whenever and we know we're going to get exactly the same, you know, third, fourth spell than we see in this first spell. Just two things to say about that is that uh, Ben Stokes himself was able to go to Wally Robinson and say, mate, I know what it's like to be unfit and I know what it's like to go on the journey to fitness. Um, so he was able to, to give him personal experience and advice. And secondly, um, you know, there was absolutely no element from Ollie Robinson of, of him saying, huh, who, who are you calling fat now? And, uh, you know, there was no element of him trying to prove anybody wrong whatsoever. It was put to him that maybe John Lewis, who was the England bowling coach, um, didn't need to say quite, quite what he said in public. Um, and, and, and Robinson just said, no, he was right. You know, he said, people don't realise me and John go back a long way. Um, and what he said about me was right. It's true. I was overweight and I was unfit. And now I'm not. And I, I don't, he said at one point he stood in the outfield thinking, I don't want to just do this today mm. or next week. I want to do this for the next five or six years. And the, main, the fitness maintenance is very simple if you play. It's when you stop playing. It's when you have a little prolonged break. It's when the beer tastes the sweet and the burgers are... Uh, or like are, are free for all and you're not bowling as much. The biggest way of getting fit, or the best way of getting fit for bowling is bowling. But the, the easiest way to, way to maintain your fitness for bowling is actually bowling. In, in, and that's going to be Ollie's challenge. The biggest challenge Ollie's going to have is in between, in between series is because of the future tour program looks the way it does. It's not quite as bad as South Africa, but England have got 
they haven't got as many test matches as they probably would normally have over the next five years as what they had the, the, the previous five years. So Ollie's where he gets his cricket and where he gets, that's going to be the challenge of John Lewis, the bowling coach, the planner. I remember Owens Gibson taking me to South Africa for, for two first-class matches before Sri Lanka because we didn't have a great deal of, of cricket going into a Sri Lankan series. And he knew that I probably needed two games more than anybody else to get myself not fit, but basically bowling straight. That was, <laughs> that was always Opus's thing. It takes us two weeks to get you to bowl straight, never mind to get anything else after a, a long, prolonged, you know, a six week break. And I think that's the challenge for, for Ollie. It's not the actual performance of bowling, it's just getting his body up to speed to, to, to sort of keep the, the fitness maintenance. But look, he has had a great week. He didn't blame anybody else. He took accountability for himself. And I think that's the biggest thing he needs congratulating on because it takes a man to look in the mirror and go, what an absolute so-and-so you are. You could have done it a lot better. He's got a second chance. Let's hope he, let's hope he utilises that second chance because the skill level of the boy is very, very high. Okay, let's move on to um, a man who has no problem with fitness whatsoever, and that is the legend of uh, Jimmy Anderson. I'm going to play back-to-back clips here. First of all, uh, Ben Stokes once again, and then um, South Africa's attack leader, Kahiso Rabada, was asked also about Jimmy. He's been the man for Joe and myself to turn to, you know, uh, you know, the start of a day, the start of an innings, start of a session to, to come in and make the impact with the ball because whether it's with the old ball or the new ball, you know exactly what, he, what you're going to get. You're going to get a man who runs in and just gives the batter absolutely nothing and who's absolutely relentless with everything that he does. I said before this um, game started that I honestly just can't see when he's going to stop. Um, you know, you can see him just enjoying every moment he's out there. I honestly can't say that when, whenever he's going to stop because, you know, he is 40, but he doesn't act like a 40-year-old, you know. He's been amazing around the dressing room. The energy that he runs in and bowls with still is just incredible and he's... He's just a testament to himself and a great ambassador for the game, especially for fast bowlers. He's had a remarkable career, a test career particularly. He's still getting wickets at his age. Yeah, he's a legend of the game and um, he keeps proving why he is. Uh, so he's a phenomenal bowler. Uh, he showed that again today. Playing only test cricket, I guess that helps with his longevity. But in the same breath, England play a lot of test, test matches in a year. But yeah, he's done remarkably well. That was uh, Kahisa Rabada talking about Jimmy. Harmi, you and I, six months ago, when he, he was left out along with uh, Stuart Broad of the Tour of the West Indies, we looked at the schedule for this summer and we thought, if he can just get to Old Trafford, you know, and, and play the second test match, maybe maybe that'll be an appropriate swan song for him to call it a day. <laughs> he took six for 60. Why the hell would he be calling it a day? Yeah, I think if he even thought that, I think Ben Stokes would be knocking on his door saying, there's any chance of just thinking twice about that? You know, because he is so important for England. He is, he's so important. He sets the tone. Talk about tone setting. He sets the tone. He doesn't give you anything. He is relentless when he's when he's bowling. I must admit, there must have been times at Lords, he must have been standing there thinking, what are we, oh, our B, what are we doing bowling short? Just give me the new ball. I haven't bowled for an hour. I know I'm 40, but just give me the new ball. I can put five out of six on the top of off stump. He's a number 10 for a reason. Again, what you said about Ben Stokes, you're going to say the same brilliance about Jimmy Anderson. I thought he'd carry, I still think he'll carry on to the next step. I've been in his company a few times in the last three or four weeks and 
are you still talking positively about the game? He's still talking positively about himself. He's never ever going to be my size once he stops bowling because he's never been somebody that puts a great deal of weight on to start with. But I think he will play next year. I really do. I think the Future Tours program helps him. I don't see him going to Pakistan. I think that would be, I think that would be a mistake to take him to Pakistan because as much as he will challenge in Pakistan, I think having that break till February, March, getting him into a position to play against New Zealand, I think he will be more suited over there. I wouldn't have a problem with him going to Pakistan. I just think seven. T- he's potentially going to play, what, seven test matches this summer, six, seven test matches this summer. And the, and the first-class games he played at the start of the summer, I think three months, three and a half months, would do him the world a good off, getting him ready for New Zealand. And then if it is going to be one final push for next year, then try and get five test matches, four or five test matches out of him next year. We are gonna, we are gonna miss him. We are so lucky that we've got James Anderson and Stuart, but James Anderson. We are so lucky we've got him. When people say, "When are you gonna retire?" I'm like, "Hold on, yeah, let's get the most out of him while we possibly can, because we'll miss him when he goes, and we will, we'll not realize how much we're gonna miss him until there's no more James Anderson playing cricket for England, and that's the biggest country, uh, the biggest compliment that anybody can pay." player who's about to retire, especially if talking about somebody who's 40-year-old. It's ridiculous. I look forward to seeing who England do pick for the three tests in Pakistan. Uh, they're going to have bowled 20 overs each on a, on three roads. So look out, <laughs> look out, Maddie Potts. That uh, yeah. could be part of your right, right of passage. <laughs> be good education for somebody like Matt Potts. A, a bride and cast, if you can get if you can get him. Mark Wood, would Mark Wood be fit by then? Not so sure, but I think we're gonna. We, I would go with Pierce. Try and get his the, the quick lads Pierce through the air. And I think the most important thing for Pakistan further down the line is is get the spin bowling option in in order. Ben Stokes has done Jack Leach the world of good by backing him this year because I actually see a better bowler. He's maybe he's not got the numbers that he he probably would like this summer, but again, you look at him. You look at him on in that second innings. He bowled he bowled twenty three overs for twenty six. Give England, he gave you a bit of control. I know they were trying to save the game and defend. But he, he started to give England a bit of control. And if you've got a spin bowler that can give you control, with wicket taking bowlers through the air, you've got half a chance. If your spin bowler's going in the subcontinent, six and sevens and over, he's, then your seam bowlers have got no chance either and you're not going to win. So yeah, Ben's done some good things for, 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 for Jack Leach as well this summer by backing him, telling him he's his man. Okay, I just want to finish this section with a very short clip from Jimmy Anderson, just because it's funny. He was talking about talking about the advice he got from Stuart Broad when he was on his hat trick. Stuart was at mid on, and he came over and said, um, "When I uh, took my two international test hat tricks, uh, <laughs> I just went full and straight." So I was trying to go full and straight, but just got my line horribly wrong. I got a bit giddy, tried to bowl it a bit too quick, probably. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Next up, part three, we'll focus on South Africa and look at what they need to do ahead of uh, the deciding test. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Melthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcast. Just before we move on to South Africa um, and the um, mistakes that they made before the match, during the match, um, at the toss, um, let's just, I did say that I'd ask you about Zach Crawley and Alex Lees. England were in a bit of trouble. Um, the ball was doing a lot. Anrich Norkia was bowling with great fire and venom. And Zach Crawley got stuck in like a traditional opening batsman and finished the day 19 not out from 77 balls. And suddenly he was being heaped with praise. It's like the, the greatest 19 not out ever scored by an England opener. So I think that was partly a reaction to all the criticism that he's got, but that's what he should be doing, getting stuck in and trying to take the shine off the ball. I, do, I really didn't know what to make of the some of the stuff that came with Zach Crawley leading into the Test match, saying that we weren't looking for consistency, saying that he was a match winner from McCollum and Collingwood. I actually thought, the more I look at them comments, the more I'm thinking, was that miscommunication? Were they trying to say that we back Zach because we feel as though at the top he can get us off the good starts and get us in a position to sort of put the bowlers on the back foot. I get that. I, I really do. I think he has got them qualities. There's a lot of a lot of players like sort of um, Robson, Compton, Stongman, Lies, Carberry. Will say, well, if you give me that chance, I would have get 19 off 77 balls against that, that attack just to, to hold it back. And that's not a knock against Zach because. It's not Zach's fault. This is the thing that it's not his fault that the selectors and the coaching team have backed him because they do see a, a high ceiling level with him. They do see, a, I think, a level of talent that you just want him to succeed because he gives you so much when it comes to his ability to put bad balls away. But again, it comes back to the fact that in a, in a test match in England with a Duke ball, 15 overs is a long time. 
and you have to just hang around. It's not hanging around and saying, uh, just play for your off stump and block it. And if you don't get a bad ball, don't put it away. It is making sure that you're sending the right message, that you are in control. And I actually thought, you know what? He was. He was. He got seven, he got you know, 19 off 70 odd balls. But his defensive shots were going back down the ground. His ability to leave the ball was looked as though he was assured and confident. And that's what we want to see more of. That's the consistency you want to see because he gives you a chance to go on and then, you know, get a big score. Which I think, yeah. what did he get? Yeah. He got 38, 38 off 101 balls. Now, we're all saying good things about 38 off 101 balls. Do you know what I mean? It's That's where he's at. That's where he's been. And that's where the journey he's on at this minute in time. I'm pleased for him because I thought he showed... I thought he showed positivity in defence and positivity to leave the ball, which gave him a better chance to hit the ball when it was there to be hit. And I think that's what I want from Zach Crawley as an opening batsman, the one that stands with his feet together and throws his hands at everything because he's going to end up with an average of 25 like he's got at the minute. But I think if he if he adapts to the English conditions and plays the game in that first hour, which is trying to put the bowler off his confidence in his areas, then you build a platform. But to say that you don't want consistency, I hope it was miscommunication because of it. If it wasn't, then obviously I'm that far out of touch with the game. It's just ridiculous because consistency for an opening batsman in England, that might have something to do with where why we're one from 17 and why we were always 20 for two and always saying Joe Root can't bat three because we need to give him some space at four because we are sick of him getting in at 20 for two. Well, if you look for consistency in your openers, you might have a chance of winning games. And that's what happened this week. He batted 101 balls. He gave a chance of the middle order to bat at, you know, what was a very, very good bowling attack, but he gave them a, a chance to nullify them. To be fair, Brendan McCallum never said that he didn't want consistency from Zach Crawley. Uh, I think he just treats it as a, uh, a happy bonus. <laughs> he was more that he said he's a match winner. He's a rare talent. He's going to win games for us. Uh, and if he happens to be consistent, then it's just a nice little bonus. Um, OK, let's just talk about South Africa and um, get stuck into uh, their the makeup of their 11. As we've already mentioned, they did play two spinners. Uh, Simon Harmer is a proven match winner. It was very dry at Old Trafford. And if they hadn't been bowled out for 151 in the first innings, then uh, that may have proven to be a stroke of genius. Um, but they left out Marco Janssen which surprised everybody, including, and I know for a fact this is true, um, the majority of the team themselves. Nobody saw that uh, Marco Janssen would be the one to make way for a second spinner. This was Dean Elgar explaining that, that decision. Marco is maybe the least experienced uh, player or bowler in our, in our four-pronged pace attack. Just with Lungi gives us the control and stability. Anna's got the raw pace and he's got a few of the English batters numbers. And KG is basically the full package. So we thought uh, Janssen was the, the obvious choice with Harmi and in, in saying that Harmi also provides something with a bat. Um, so yeah, so it was maybe just on the maybe slight uh, inexperienced uh, part. Three things there, actually four things. The fourth one being Harmi provides something with the bat. Um, that's not yeah. something that you heard during your career very often, is it? Definitely not, no. <laughs> to be fair, I was, always, I was always all right against Africa, but no, consistency with a bat, yeah, I was a very good number 11. Okay, <laughs> there's the three three things I've got to say about that. Um, the first is that 
this seniority complex that, that South African sport has dictated to, I mean, leaving a guy out because he's the least experienced. Uh, okay, I'll leave that to you. Secondly, is a left arm seamer and an off spinner go together like gin and tonic? I mean, mm. you know, what, what? and thirdly, um, this really frustrates me, is he said that Lungi Ngidi provides the control. He also said that Kajita Rabada is the full package. By saying that a bowler gives you control, you are by definition saying that the other bowlers don't give you control. But then you yeah. say that Kajita Rabada is the full package. So if you're the full package, you know how to put the handbrake on. And Enrique Norkia also knows how to put the handbrake on, as does Marco Janssen. He's played enough. He might just be 22. But, you know, telling me he hasn't been in a team where his captain has said, look, I need you to keep it tight for six overs now. Do you think I sound frustrated? Yeah, and I, and I get that. And I, but I also look at it from a bowling point of view that Gisa Rabada, Ulrik Nokia and Marco Janssen play a lot of shorter form of cricket. Now, if you don't have control in short format cricket, you go at 10 and over. So that, I've, I've always thought that, you know, when it comes to, right, that's why these these three or four bowlers that South Africa have got are so potent because they've got pierce, they've got aggression, but the bowl with control because they've played that much short format cricket. They have to bowl, obviously, straight. They have to bowl in good areas and they have to react to what's happening as and when the game is going on. Yes, it's a longer format of the game and can you do that over six hours as opposed to 60 minutes? That is always a, the, the big challenge. I didn't get the Marco Janssen one, more from the fact that I'm actually not picking him as a bowler. I'm picking him as a batter. You've got your wicketkeeper who is not a bad number seven, probably Ben Folks-ish. Maybe he's not as good as that, but he's batting at six. You've had to you know, ship Johan Mulder in to get him to bat at number seven, Marco Janssen number eight. That wouldn't be a bad, you know, with Maharaj and, and, and possibly Harmer at, at nine or ten. And then you've got, if you had Rabada and Nokia, that comes in after that. Obviously, one of the spinners probably won't have to, won't be able to play. But then it, come, it always comes back to, and because I've had a small sample size of playing in South Africa and I've seen it, when people get frustrated about the quota system that South Africa has, I think I always challenge them and say, look, no, since South Africa have come back into international sport, their, their sport has had that. And it's been successful. So you can't knock, knock that. But you also get see why people get frustrated and go, well, why is Janssen not playing? Like you just mentioned with the, the Harmer, the gin and tonic. It just shows you how important Bavuma is for, for this side, how important Rabada is for, for, for this side. And whether sometimes you go, well, needs must. And this for once, this is, we're going to pick our best team. And unfortunately... Is it the coach system that's reared its head again? Or is it just the fact that Dean Elgar is so stuck in his ways, old-fashioned ways, that he believes in seniority that the youngest, you know, he's not playing because he's the youngest bowler. And no matter if you can't, like yeah, I think you said it before we came on air, it doesn't matter if you can't catch, you're the youngest, you're feeling that short leg, get the helmet on. So they could have picked any team, to be fair. They didn't play well enough, but it was just baffling. And it just puts them under pressure going into the next test match. Okay, um, just a, a quick word on the on the quota system uh, is that um, Cricket South Africa and Cricket um, South Africa administrators and coaches don't like talking about the quota system, and with good reason. It's not 
because they're embarrassed or, or it's awkward or the reason they don't talk about it um, publicly is because as a consequence of doing so, a player like Lungi Ngidi would uh, or has in the past been labelled as a quota player, which is not only deeply disrespectful, um, it's also totally uninformed. Lungi Ngidi has 50 test match wickets at 21. He is not a quota player. He, mm, he, would, be, he would be a contender for any international team in the world. It's just simply that at Old Trafford, and given what had transpired at Lords, he was the obvious choice to to make way for a second spinner. Um, uh, but you know, so so another other thing about the quota system, um, homies, it doesn't apply per se to every single game. It uh, mm. is measured at the end of a calendar year across all three formats, and it, it is that there will be six black players in the starting eleven, of whom three must be black African. That's uh, and it's a target now. Um, it's described as a target, not a quota. And the very, very, very vast majority of cricket lovers in South Africa, we're talking, you know, 99% understand and uh, ha have no problem whatsoever with that as, as a target. I mean, it's there for the right reasons. And anyway, it's pretty much irrelevant. It was it was relevant, you know, 10 years ago, but I think there's enough depth now. Um, so just to confirm that VN Mulder, as you said, has been called into the squad for South Africa. Um, Rossi Faladustin has gone home with a broken finger. Aidan Markram is averaging 15 this year um, in test matches, um, but he's been selected because he's got lots of experience. Uh, just shows that Dean Elgar's theory doesn't um, uh, always uh, work in the team's best interest. We'll talk about the um, high performance review um, in part four as well. Uh, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. I'm speaking very quickly because we've got a lot to get through in part four. Uh, we're talking about the high-performance review. And Andrew, Andrew Strauss has uh, spoken about a, a revamped 50-over competition, still wants 14 games in the championship, multi-year central contracts an option, and a North versus South first-class game in the UAE in March. I don't know how that's going to help in the big picture. But before we go on to that, Harmi, let's just hear from the uh, England Managing Director of Men's Cricket, uh, Rob Key, uh, because he was asked by Michael Atherton on Sky uh, why it was that every other aspect of the domestic season could be revamped and rejigged and moved about apart from the 100, which is sacrosanct, untouchable in August. Well, because you've got to deal with what you can actually do, you know, so you're not going to end up getting rid of the blast. You're not going to end up getting rid of any counties, all of those types of things. You've got to sort of work with what you can work with. The 100 is an integral part of the broadcast deal, for one thing. And also, I think, actually, it's going to do so much for our game. I know it's a very divisive thing, but actually, the 100 is going to be something that secures the future of our game, really. It's, as well, from a high-performance point of view, it's the best standard of white ball cricket that we've got. It is the best players playing against the best, which is what the juggling act is is you want to be able to have the best players and the best teams going at it over and over again to the best of your ability to the most you can and that's what it does i don't know what to make of it harmy what do you yeah it's it's interesting i think the idea of the best playing against the best is well that's no brainer yeah i'm happy with that eight teams not a problem with that i wouldn't like to see it get to 10 like the ipl has, has, has done we've got to play 2020 cricket hundreds just doesn't work sorry you know, he's my best man, but 100 doesn't work. You've got to play 2020 cricket in line with the rest of the world. We've tried this new format. It hasn't worked. The best players are playing against the best. I would question whether it is the best quality because I've not seen many games gone down to the last ball. 
in the two years. Yeah, the higher percentage of games going down to the last over or the last set of five, last ball. There's a lot of people knock the hundred, and we are, we are, we are two of them. Um, but I think we've got to go back to 2020 cricket. I think we can do it. We can still market it the same way. I think we can still have, and I think we will make the competition better. I think it will get it closer to what the IPL gives you. I think it could be the second biggest and second best quality competition in the world at 2020 domestically. I don't think the 100 works. I don't think people know how to play it. I don't think players understand it properly. I still think they haven't getting their heads around it. And I think because of that, that's why we're not seeing as many closer contests. I think some of the pitchers are getting tired. Some of the teams aren't that good when it comes to the best of the best versus the best. You know, the Welsh Fire have been a shocker again this year. Some of our big players aren't playing it and pulling out of it, protecting themselves, rightly so. You know, Reese Topley walked away from it. We've seen Ben Stokes and Johnny Bairstow not play it. I don't subscribe to all these people that say, oh, why are we not playing first-class cricket in August? We play 14 games a year as long as we keep that. I would I would knock it down to 10 or 12 five-day games in my high-performance review because I think we should be trying to mirror international cricket because that's what we are aspiring to, producing players to play the best level of international cricket. Um, but we haven't got enough time for my high-performance high review because um, we are short on time. But I, I, we can't get rid of counties. I don't believe I'm not on the Kevin Peterson trail of franchise and four-day cricket. He's his right. We've got to work with what we've got. We've got to make it better. Um, the only thing I, I've always said, and I've said this for years, even when I played, we should have Red Bull cricket up until up until enduring possibly the first or just before the second test match of the summer at the start. And then we should have at least two, possibly three first-class matches up until the first test match of the second cycle when we play it again. And I think everything else around should fit around that. And if the 100 is in one separate block, then so be it. But for me, the 100 has got to go back to 2020 because the, the, the 16.4 overs doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it's like your, your mum makes your favourite chicken sandwiches uh, for school lunch for years and years, and then one day she puts tongue in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're like, you're like mum, can we just go back to chicken, please? <laughs> yeah. I oh, know, it, it, it is. And then and, and, and the rest of it, it's, you know, they're talking about playing north versus south. What about, why are we not just going on these old-fashioned the old air tours, picking our best 16 players to go into another country, to play against their best 16 players, you know, and, and really have a good go at good go at that. Bring Ireland into the situation and develop, try and bridge the gap between first class cricket and test cricket. Because as we've seen, it's over the course of the pandemic, we've lost that ability to bridge the gap between getting some of our best young players to play with some of our fringe players on international cricket to try and challenge the players that are playing test match cricket. Because at the minute, Zach Crowley's averaging mid-20s. Alex Lees is averaging mid-20s. But who else is averaging 45 opening a bat for England? Alistair Cook. Hey, do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's where we're at at this minute in time. So go and produce a format that's going to help bridge the gap and challenge our players in international cricket. And that, for me, is, is going back. Sometimes it's going back to things that were tried and tested. Go back to ear tours. Go back to the, you know, the producing players to play in between the sort of first-class level and uh, in international cricket and help them that way. 
Right, time now to hear, as promised, from England captain Heather Knight. She was speaking at the Football Foundation event at Gunnersbury Park Sports Hub in London as they launched their £92 million funding commitment into community multi-sport facilities. Here she is in conversation with our very own producer, Scott Taylor. Heather, thanks for speaking to TalkSport. You're at Gunnersbury Park Hub today. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so Football Foundation are investing a load of money in multi-sport facilities, basically. So come down here to have a look at Gunnersbury. I think it opened pre-COVID and as back opened again. There's cricket pitches, football pitches, uh, rugby pitches, golf course, all sorts of stuff. So it's about investing in, in grassroots sport, um, which is hugely important. And how important is that for, for cricket as well? Because you see a lot of people when they start off playing sport, they, they don't just pigeonhole themselves into one sport. So it's good that there's a variety of sports there on, on offer, I guess. Yeah, there is. And facilities are so important in cricket. I think it's probably one of the biggest barriers to getting people involved. And especially with the women's game now, you've seen so many girls just wanting to get involved in cricket through the 100 and, and watching England women. So it's really important that there's the facilities, there's the clubs for those girls to go and, and join. And it's really important, I think, to grab that spark. As soon as someone's inspired and wants to get involved, it should be really easy for them to, to go in and, and get involved and, and then foster a, a lifelong love of the sport. So, yeah, it's really important. And football is, is the, the biggest sport in this country. But, um, yeah, it's nice to see they're collaborating and, and working with other sports. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, nick a few players from football as well. You say nick a few players from football. We've already seen in the hundreds this year, there's been record crowds in the women's game from what there was last year. And that's probably because the, the women's Euro success in the summer. But how important is it just to keep that momentum going from this summer? Yeah, there's a really good vibe around women's sport at the moment. Absolutely love watching the Lionesses. It was so inspiring to see them do their thing and to sell out Wembley is just amazing. And the, the way they did it and the way they went about their business was just um, so inspiring for boys and, and girls all over the country, kids and adults alike. So, um, yeah, it's it's really, really nice. All the hockey girls win gold, uh, the Commonwealths as well, and just seeing them do so well. And um, we spend a bit of time with the, the hockey girls and the netball girls around those Commonwealth games. So it feels like we're all trying to push women's sport forward at the moment. And obviously, if we can be successful as teams and, and try and win trophies and, and inspire that way, um, um, it's going to be great. But yeah, we, we want to keep pushing the, the women's sport agenda forward at the moment because it feels like a really positive time and a, a time where, where things are starting to really change. You talk about the Commonwealth Games there. You picked up that hip injury, so you didn't really play a full part. But what was the experience like being part of the Commonwealth Games as a cricketer? It was really different, uh, really cool. Like It was a really awesome experience, actually, just being involved in Team England, getting to, to go to the village and be around other sports, people from England and, and all other countries. Um, I think the opening ceremony was like, wow, this is unbelievable. Walking into the stadium, packed out stadium in Birmingham and, and people just singing Queen, We Will Rock You and just absolutely loving being involved in, in uh, the Commonwealth. So, yeah, it was, it was really cool, obviously, quite disappointing personally with the injury and trying to fight to be fit and obviously the the girls not being able to uh, come away with a medal but um yeah i think the whole experience was a was a pretty positive one and um yeah hopefully one that that might um happen again in the future yeah we'll talk about the injury in a sec but i guess you'll be in favor of there's been a lot of talk of cricket being added to the olympic schedule i guess that's something you'd be in favor of yeah i think so i can't really see too many negatives of it i think it gives cricket the potential to grow and um, reach a different audience and get different countries playing. And particularly in women's cricket, it's probably going through a slightly different part of the men's game. There's no reason why some of the, the countries that aren't traditional cricket countries can't 
get going with cricket. I think the Olympics will aid that. Um, I guess the tricky thing is there's so much going on in the cricket schedule now, and, and I guess something we'll have to give, give to add to the Olympics. I know it's every four years, but um, the way the schedule's going in the men's game, and, and I imagine the women's game will will um, get pretty busy and packed um, as we go forward, as it is starting to now. Um, so, yeah, something we'll have to give to, to get it in the schedule. But, um, yeah, I don't see no reason why it can't get going. And, yeah, we probably um, I'll be watching from the, the stands or the commentary box, I think. Um, obviously, if, if the Olympics does, does get in, I'll, I'll probably be um, long retired by then. How, how proud are you of being the England captain as well? Just looking at the growth of the women's game in the last... What, two to three years, you know, building on the success from the 2017 World Cup. You've then got the 100 brought in. You sort of, I think you were part of the, the, the players that are out in Fairbreak, out in Dubai as well. It's just grown exceptionally, hasn't it, over the last few years? Yeah, it's mad. I have to keep pinching myself, to be honest, how much it keeps evolving, keeps growing and keeps surprising the, the people that are playing it. I, I think I count myself so lucky that I've been involved in this period. When I started, it was, was very much um, a pretty small sport. And to see it now, domestic cricket, 10 to 15,000 people coming to watch women's domestic cricket, I never thought I'd see. And um, yeah, the, the support is so good in this country. The Australians, the Kiwis, South Africans that are coming over are, are absolutely loving playing over here because the, the support is, is so good for women's cricket. And it's remarkable where it could go in the next five years. I think if we keep pushing it forward, keep investing in it, keep hopefully us being successful and, and driving girls to, to get playing, I think it's there's no limit really on, on where it can go. And um, it's a pretty exciting time to be involved. And the next steps, the, the women's IPR is reading, looking to be be launched next year. Would that be something you'd be interested in packing your bags and heading over there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it'll be a bit of a game changer for for cricket globally. I think that India market is is just crazy. The the um, untapped potential I think they've got for for women's cricket over there is is ridiculous. And I think actually it'd be a bit scary for for how good the Indian team could be once they do start an IPL. But um, yeah, I think it's the next logical step, to be honest. I think the, the BCCI have, have been a bit behind England and Australia in, in terms of supporting their domestic cricket. And you've seen the success of the Women's Big Bash and, and then obviously the 100, which has been amazing for cricket in this country. And, and for us as an England team, it's really helping to push us forward. So um, yeah, I'd love to be involved. It's a, it's a really cool place to go and play cricket. It's, it's very different. It's a real assault on the senses and they absolutely love their cricket over there. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully the, the hips will up and running long before then. So I'd, um, yeah, enjoy it if I, if I got the chance to go and play. Yeah, you talk about the hip, but I was just reading you had surgery on it. Was that just a, a view of it needed to, to have surgery or was that just a view of the mind, the 2023 T20 World Cup as well in South Africa? Yeah, it needed to, to be done, to be honest. I've had a, a labral tear in there for a couple of years and uh, I needed a bit of a clean out. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's something that obviously will put me out for a couple of months, but will prolong my career. And um, that's the goal, to be ready for that World Cup and the tour to the West Indies, which is in December before that. So, um, yeah, one of those things. It's a bit of an unfortunate timing, obviously, with the season, missing the Commonwealth Games and missing the rest of, of the cricket that we've got to come, that series against India in September. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame for me, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to watching the girls and uh, seeing them dominate against India, hopefully, and, and also trying to get a bit of time away because um, it's been pretty non-stuff, I guess, with, with cricket um, the last couple of years. So, obviously, I'd much rather be playing, but a chance to, to sort of stop, refresh, um, and, yeah, look forward to, obviously, that T20 World Cup. You talk about the schedule a few minutes ago and, and how it's it's just getting busier and busier for women's cricket. Do you feel in a couple of years' time it could be a catch-22 
22 situation whereby you want these big opportunities to play in front of these big crowds but at the same time you need to look after yourselves as cricketers and make sure you're playing the right amount of cricket as opposed to too much yeah I think in previous years we've just been crying out to play more cricket and it's been great that there is the international schedule now the the competitions that you can play and you can play pretty much all year round and I think we're starting to see players start to pick and choose a little bit what they play in outside of international cricket and it's it's an interesting couple of months actually it's, it's a bit of a tipping point like you've seen a, a couple of players retire and, and go and play franchise cricket and, and I think it's going to go down the route of the men's game where there's going to be that conflict I guess between international and, and franchise and I think we can probably learn from what's going on in the men, men's game try and avoid any pitfalls that, that potentially there there has been with that um but yeah, certainly I think we're starting to see it now. People, players picking and choosing what competitions they go in and play in because um, it's pretty unsustainable to, to be playing all year. And um, yeah, girls are starting to realise that they probably can't do anything. Yeah, no. And I know, I know you mentioned the series against West Indies in, in December, then the World Cup. So it's as if you're looking at the, the next series in front of you. But the prospect of England and Wales hosting a T20 World Cup in 2026, is that something you look at long-term and think, I'd love to be part of that? I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. Um, you you realise you, you're not immortal when you get injuries like this and, and you have to look after yourself a little bit. So, yeah, it's a, it's a long way to, to look ahead in, in terms of my career. I'm just focusing on the next trip, the next World Cup and um, doing everything I can. And, um, yeah, that'll be, be a decision way down the line. Um, but, yes, yeah, it's really cool that it's going to be hosted in England obviously 2017 was massive for us the support that we got winning a home world cup um as captain on on lord's turf um was was the best moment of my career I think so um yes it's certainly tempting but it's it's a hell of a long way away just uh, a few words on Lisa Kitely who's standing down as England head coach what has she done for you personally and, and for your game and for the team yeah, I've loved working with Lisa. I've, I've known her for many years now and was really excited to get going with her. I think she's taken over in a period that's been really tough. Managing in COVID times is, is, is definitely much harder than the normal times. I've certainly found it harder as captain in terms of looking after players, other things going on, bubble life, things like that. So she's done remarkably well to, to do that and coaching those times as well as being Australian and not being able to go home and, and see her partner, see her, her family um, has been really tough for her. So, um, yeah, she's obviously made that decision with that in mind. It's time for her to go home. But, yeah, I've really enjoyed working with her. She's certainly developed me as a player. Um, she's given me a lot more responsibility as captain and enabled me to grow and, and lead a bit more from the front, I think. So, yeah, I've, I've loved working with her and um, I'm sure we'll, we'll stay in touch. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to, to seeing who the next coach is and, and getting to know them. Just finally, you talk about Lisa's situation there. Plenty of bubble life being away from home. We've seen coming out on Friday, Ben Stokes has, has done this documentary on Amazon Prime about his struggles. Is that something you girls talk about in the dressing room when some players might not be feeling great mentally? Are you comfortable, happy talking about that? those sort of issues in the dressing room? I think it's it's an individual thing a little bit, I think, isn't it? We like to think as a dressing room, we're really open and, and really supportive. And, and certainly those two years where we're living in COVID bubbles, we're not able to see our, our family. Those were, were certainly really tough times for, for most people in the team. And it was at the forefront of my mind and the rest of the team's mind trying to look after people. And I think the way Ben has spoken out is is amazing. It's, it's so brave and, and so good for people to hear that a player like that 
who you think is is inhuman and immortal can can um, talk about his struggles is is real um, strong leadership. Showing that vulnerability is is really tough. I certainly find it hard as a leader to show vulnerability sometimes, but I know how powerful it is. And yeah, Ben doing that is is remarkable, and, and I'm sure it will help a lot of people. Do you think that makes people who will watch the documentary on Friday realise that separate the two, the cricketer to the person, the fact that although you're being watched by millions of people, you, you're no different to anyone else. You're just a regular person as well. Definitely. I think people will see the human side of, of cricketers a little bit more. Sometimes um, that isn't always always seen and you just see what, what goes on on the cricket pitch and you, you don't realise that the players are humans, they have families, they have friends, they have partners and they go through similar struggles to other people. And, and sometimes with the profession that we're in, it, it sometimes amplifies that as well you're under different different pressures you're away from home a lot of the time you, you might be struggling with, with different things in terms of cricket or off the pitch so yeah I certainly hope it will, will see help people see uh, cricketers more as human beings. That was the England captain Heather Knight speaking to Talk Sports Scott Taylor the man who puts this show together uh, every week and does 95% of the work and has done for 18 months uh, he was talking at, uh, to Heather at the Football Foundation event at Gunnersbury Park Sports Hub in London as they launched their £92 million funding commitment into community multi-sport facilities. Heather always speaks very well indeed. What the one point that uh, struck me is she she sees women's cricket going the route of men's cricket with um, players becoming freelance and picking franchise cricket over internationals. Yeah, and I think probably because that's a success of how what the women's game has gone in the last... And I don't think it's just cricket, to be honest. I think it's it's football. You know, we are, it's have the reality of in the last sort of four or five years, women's sport has become more prominent uh, on TV and marketing and everything that's gone with it. And what has it done? It's made it better. It's made it much better. The 100 is a successful in one reason in me, and that's, that's the women's game. It's not got anything to do with the men's game. As much as I think the women's game needs a men's game at this minute in time to still attract the big crowds and everything that goes with it. But I think with the women's Euros, the football, that what happened there, and I think the, the state of the game in this country of, of, of women's cricket, I think it's, it's flying at this moment in time. And to go and play franchises around the world, I think, again, it's a bit like what we've seen with the men's game. I think we're just going to have to go with it and see where it, it takes us. Still think there'll be enough that want to play cricket for England, and if they play a lot more cricket, and it's the choice is there and the financial reward is there, then is that a bad thing? No, I don't think it is because I don't think the player. I still don't think they play anywhere near as much as the men. Um, and if if one of the leading stars wants to go and make a fame and fortune playing all around the world, then I don't have a problem with that because at the end of the day, individually, it'll make them individuals better, the likes of Sophie Eccleston and, and one or two others. And then when they come back to play for England, well, that can only make the England cricket team better. OK, 30 seconds left. Any other news items catch your attention this week? Or uh, maybe you can give us an update on Charlie Harmison. And, uh... no, no, they had a good week last week. The Barnard Castle, full, full, full week, unbeaten all week, and they won the trophy. They beat Suffolk in the final. It was brilliant to see. We all were, you know, there, was, there was only one story for me, um, and that was Darren Stevens still wanting to play at 46. Um, and I'm sure if Steve-O gets the club, I'm sure he'll do them well next year. But I watched, I watched a, a group of 14-year-olds last week, all week at Barnard Castle, apart from one game of golf I had in between. Um, Northumberland, Cambridge, 
Um, I actually seen Chris Scott. It was good to see Chris Scott again. I hadn't seen Scotty for a while. He was the the, the most probably one of the, the most famous drop catchers in the history of the game of cricket. And he dropped Brian Lara on 17 and said, Wow, well, but he gets a hundred. Four and a half sessions later, he had 500. Um, so Scotty was there. It was good to see him. He had the Cambridge boys there. Uh, Cleveland had a couple of sides. Norfolk, uh, sorry, Suffolk. Who else was there? Cleveland was there. And Northumberland beat Suffolk in the final. Um, and the boys did absolutely brilliant. So it was a fantastic sight to see young players enjoying their week's cricket. Um, and we will see Steve-O into his 47th year. Well, we might see Jimmy Anderson in his 41st year playing international cricket. I wouldn't put it past them both. I'll drink to that. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the great Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The two of us, uh, and as well as Scott, will be back next week for a full preview of the third test between England and South Africa at the Oval. But for now... You've been listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 